Hello, this is Janet from JanetSandberg.com, and you're listening to the Phoenix Wisdom Podcast, the weekly show that talks to peers and professionals who open up about their darkest moments when they felt like ending it all, why they didn't, and how they transformed their lives in order to triumph over the darkness and despair. Please remember to subscribe if you'd like to hear more inspiring stories. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Phoenix Wisdom Podcast. I am your host, Janet Sandberg, and today we are joined by the wonderful Heather Warren. So Heather, take a minute, introduce yourself to the people who are listening to us today. Okay, thank you, Janet, for having me on the on the podcast. Uh, my name is Heather Warren, and I'm a personal growth coach for heart-led women who have gone through sweet hell, yet still believe in love. <laughs> so, oh, love it. <laughs> so if anyone wants to go within, do some of the inner work, uh, and recover their heart so they can live the life they want, then please reach out. Um, I'm also a fur mom to a dog uh, named Max. He's my baby and a writer and a speaker and um, a foodie. I love food and I love film. <laughs> oh, food and film, two of the best things yes. out there. What's your favorite food? It's hard oh. to ask that of a foodie, I know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, from a health perspective, I love smoothies. It's kind of my inner child who likes milkshake. <laughs> um, so I can make combinations of smoothies, but I would say I really love curries, like anything. Mm. Um, and that came from when I was a kid living in Jamaica and growing up with my stepfather's Jamaican. So anything that's jerk chicken, curry goat, curry chick, curry chicken, you know, anything like that. I really enjoy. I like spicy. <laughs> awesome. And what's your favorite film? Oh, that's hard. I'm going to say <laughs> recently, I definitely, um, would say, I watched The Holdovers, which when I think it's winning awards and stuff. It is, so, yes. I still um, haven't seen it. You haven't? Okay. No, I want to, but I haven't yet. It's very love. I would say it's. I liked it that one, and um, no, I'll just stick with that one. Um, partly because it was such an on based in the nineteen seventies, such an mm -hmm. honest look at privilege and private schools, but the acting was just um, very real, you know, and you felt like you could really. Um, get a sense of the character. So I don't know how else to describe it without ruining it, but I loved it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I heard a clip of an interview with Paul Giamatti and he said that the guy who played like the main character student yes, um, okay. was actually just a student at the school they were filming at. He's not even an actor. And they were just like, you have the look, you have the vibe. Let's go with you. So maybe that's why it didn't feel like acting because he's not an actor. <laughs> That makes sense. That totally makes sense. He's just a kid living that actual life. So. You know, you just wish that would happen to you or somebody's like, you, I want you in a feature film. Right? <laughs> no. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Anyways, mm -hmm. thank you for being here today and for sharing your story with us. Let's get to that. Absolutely. Um, thank you. Tell us what was going on in your life when you were wishing that you weren't living it. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so yeah, <laughs> I'll give the the background piece was I'd already broken up with my ex and um, so I thought it was going to be one of these, you know, we're trying to do it through a therapist and amicable endings, um, but it was one of these back and forth relationships. He had suffered from a brain injury a couple of years before we decided to end it. Um, and it was just this ongoing having to deal with some of his mental health challenges. And I say that with compassion. I had compassion for him. And uh, but there were also aspects of his personality that, you know, could have been seen as yellow flags mm -hmm. <laughs> at the relationship that seemed to go get bigger, you know, over time. So probably after the seventh time of him saying he doesn't want to be in a relationship and um, our therapist, you know, we went to therapy and stuff. And I was like, wow, he, he really doesn't want to be in a relationship. So why am I even trying? So I'd said, I'm done. Like, I'm really done. I'm moving on. I'm going to start dating and sort of just letting that know out of respect so he doesn't get shocked. Um, but that triggered something in him that whether it's possessed, I would say it had a misogynistic quality to it. So it had a lens of, um, you know, he can't lose, can't lose the woman, needs to possess the woman. So something got really triggered and he became very upset and very jealous. And um, so when I did start dating somebody, he's he was reaching out to my mom and trying to say I'm an awful person. He was reaching out to my my now husband at the time was my boyfriend at the time for person I started dating he's reaching out saying you know be careful of her and he's trying to spread all of these uh false accusations and um so I felt like I couldn't control any like it was like I can't control how he's uh and he was a well-respected spiritual teacher in our community so there was almost a nobody knew what was happening I was trying to right. protect him with his mental health issues and I was trying to be very respectful and you know we don't need people in the drama and you know all of these things mm -hmm. right <clears throat> so sometimes taking the higher road feels like <laughs> you're getting silenced yeah yeah um yeah so a lot of people wouldn't see that side of him and right. wouldn't see, and I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to ruin his reputation. It, it seemed very uh, immature. Um, and, you know, and we're trying to do this with a sense of love, but he just amped it up. So it was like telling, it was affecting my business because we not shared a business, but we had a similar business. You know, obviously the work I'm doing is very similar to spiritual growth. And he had helped me start that business. So it was like, I didn't feel safe now in my business. I didn't feel safe with what he was saying to people. I had to let go of a bunch of clients. I wasn't doing well uh, mentally because I'm trying to hold this down. Um, and the feeling of unsafety because he felt unpredictable. So PTSD mm -hmm. got triggered, right? Um, so at the time I had no idea what was going on. I felt like a bad person. Am I hurting him? Like I was taking it on, right? Like that I was actually being, um, maybe I am this awful, un insensitive, uncaring in, you know, whatever I, I took on the beliefs and I took on the judgment or the, um, uh, negativity and his lens of me. And so, that was happening and he'd even come into my apartment and left the scathing letter so I didn't feel safe in my apartment wow. either so I was at the point where I'm like do I have to call the police do I have to get a restraining order um all of this so plus I'm trying to start a new relationship <laughs> yeah. so that and then I would say politically at the time that was when uh, the Me Too movement was happening. Donald Trump was getting into power, a lot of drama and like talking about violence against women, like all of these things were happening at the same time. 
that felt like it was triggering um either triggering him or triggering me or it was it was not helping you know a feeling like the world had become unsafe and that there really wasn't anyone having my back um in that so all of those things piled on it felt like a, a storm pile of just mm. like um and I would just say lack of safety and lack of support not just but that feeling of um not really having being able to, it wasn't safe enough to speak my truth I didn't feel like I, even if I said no, he wouldn't listen. You know, I didn't have any power. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So I'd say that was the context around when it felt um, like I was like, this is, it's, and I would describe that. It's not that I, I don't think anybody wants to harm themselves. It's that you feel power, entirely powerless. Like it felt like it was, I had no uh, I couldn't control him. I couldn't set boundaries with my mom. I couldn't set boundaries with my colleagues, like without it turning into more of a, a nightmare. Mm -hmm. um, because if he found out, then I would get attacked by email. Like it was just no matter, even if I blocked him, he would try to find other ways into my email. Like it was just, there was no uh, safety net or no safety space, safe space, right. except for. Um, and everything you did triggered him and yeah. turned into something. Right. Totally. A hornet's nest of, and it lasted for two and a half years. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. That been, is yeah. a long time. <laughs> Holy. Yeah. And in various ways, like just infiltrating and, and again, feeling like if I say something, I'm going to come across like, you know, like it was like, I don't, I'm not bad guy here. You know, I'm trying to set boundaries with that. So I wouldn't, so I wouldn't go to his space. You know, I was respectful. When you break up, you're supposed to respect another person's. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got your friends, your family, like you do you, I do me. You know, and that's yeah. to me is the standards of breakup. Like if there's a code for breakup, it's that's generally know. how it works. Yes. But that's not in his brain. No. <laughs> so yeah, it was like the rug getting pulled and then people are like, oh, poor guy, you know, he's such a nice guy. I don't know. Like, like I've heard him because I've moved on. Like they thought I would cheat it on him. <laughs> and um, I was like, and even if I had, a, like, even if, even if I had moved on to somebody else, it's nobody's business because they're not in the relationship right. and it's nobody's business. Right. That's mm -hmm. like slut shaming and all of this. So it was, and I'm like, I'm not the one at fault here. <laughs> like, I'm really not. I'm trying to be respectful mm -hmm. and as take the higher ground while moving on with my life and getting my needs met and creating a life I want. So it was like, um, I can only describe it as hoovering, like discovering that there was narcissistic personality disorder going on where he was hoovering me, which is like, you're trying to drag the person back into the relationship or you're trying to hook them mm -hmm. and bring them back in so they get attention, right? And, you know, and he's trying to profess his love for me and, I, you know, you're the only one I love. Like, it was just freaky. It felt like a stalker who um, was obsessed with me and um, couldn't let go. And at the same, no matter if I said no, like no right. no 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 um even I though he was the one who said no in the first place seven times yeah, yeah. <laughs> like but the but it, the if I can't have you no one can exactly right exactly I don't want you but I don't want anyone else to I don't want anyone else to have, have you, you yeah no because it's the male ego getting hurt yeah so yeah so I have a very um like what it a deep 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 empathy for the layers of violence against women 
mm-hmm. and how it shows up in the male psyche. And I don't, this isn't about male bashing. It's about a, an abusive male, you know, or a male who hasn't done his work and their lens of the female and um, their beliefs around what she, he, she's supposed to be for him or how she's, you know, like he just believed that I was supposed to be something to him (laughs) and um you know and I had to take a look at even the most so-called enlightened person or person in personal growth I'm like I had to see the male side that still wanted control and power um and couldn't accept through the guise of love could not accept rejection or could not accept no or couldn't accept a boundary Mm -hmm. which led you then to Mm -hmm thinking it it it'll just be easier for me to not be here. Yes. So than to I have would, to deal with all of this. Totally. Well, and I would I would say especially after two and a half years. Yeah. You're just ready right? to just give up. So I'd say probably the the suicidal feelings. I would I it felt like um what did they call it? Uh intrusive thoughts. Mm-hmm. Probably after probably three or four months of this going on because it wasn't gonna stop. Right. So at the three or four month point, I felt like, oh, my God, I'm trying really hard to move forward with my life. And this thing keeps pulling me back. Mm -hmm. And so the suicidal feelings of I just want to die. I just want to die. Like I can't. It it had a feeling of um, I have no this. It'll always be this way. Yeah. It'll always be this way. Um, I can't get rid of this person. And the damage he's caused or causing is hope like I, I'll never regain my um sanity like sanity safety and my own sense of trust like it broke trust at a deep deep level and if I couldn't I was like if I can't trust this person like and so it, it was challenging even being in this relationship because I'm trying to navigate a new relationship if I trust this person or not mm-hmm. and then as a male right so it was bringing up all these layers of um and I have a background of dominant men in my life who I've had to stand up to and set ground with so it triggered every single um emotional uh anger you know is the only way I can describe it and a feeling of um self-hate for getting myself into this situation like I blamed Ooh, myself right right so well, it was yeah because right? I, I picked him I chose to be in a relationship with him so you know, this is all my fault, even though obviously his, his behavior and his choices are in no way your fault, but that's sometimes just where the brain chooses to go. It's what psychological abuse does. Right. And so it felt like, um, it's better that I'm invisible. Like it's almost like a way of trying to be invisible from the abusers. Like if I just ended it, Mm -hmm. it would, I would go away and this problem would go away. Yeah. Right. And and it honestly felt like an intrusive, it felt like intrusive thoughts, like uh, reckless driving, not because I was like, I'm just going to end it now. It felt like I just had no control. Like it was like, it's going to, like, it felt like I, my script was, I want to die. I want to die. I want to die. But it wasn't like I was like planning it. Right. And I totally get, I have no judgments of somebody planning it. Um, right. But it felt intrusive. It felt like there was no, like I'm going to harm myself even if I want to or not, right? Like it felt like there was no, I didn't have control over my life. So I couldn't even control my driving. I had ideation of, and I'm sorry for triggers for people, but they're listening to this podcast, but it felt like knives on my arms. And I'm not somebody who's ever cut myself or been inclined to that, 
but I was like, I really get how people feel like they're having a psychotic break. Like I really get how they feel like, why is this even coming into my head? Like, I don't even want it to come into my head. Yep. And yet the deep, I would, the deepest depression, like I couldn't get up in the mornings. I felt like everything, I couldn't go through, like, it would almost be like every hour or half an hour, be like, I just want to die. I just want to die. I just yeah. want to die. Right. And no, um, no control. Like, it's like, it couldn't not feel that way. Is the only yeah. way I could describe it. Right. Um, and I think the worst part of it was that whenever I did reach out for help, I went to women in crisis when this was going on, but sometimes those programs can make you self-shame if you're already in an emotionally abusive relationship. So you're like, this is the cycle of abuse. I'm like, I know the cycle of abuse. <laughs> I know what I've done. I've, I've been educated by it. I don't need the education. I'm in this. I don't know how to protect myself from somebody who is doing this. So it would be a lot of, it felt like it was up to me to have, like I was somehow failing or I was somehow like, instead of going, look, you're like it, lack of validation. It just feels like mm -hmm. it's yeah. um, um, like, you're not at fault here. This dude is crazy. Like, just help me identify that this is crazy. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, I'm dealing with a crazy person and what do I do? Like, and, and I say that with capital C harmful, crazy. I don't want to um, mentally health shame anyone. And I know he was going through a mental health crisis. Right. So I was, they weren't helping me deal with like, look, of course you feel guilty. You feel responsible. You feel like you're hurting. Like none of that not acknowledgement of not being know, seen or heard or yeah validated. Get, like you're not weak because you're dealing with this you know like yeah. you know keep um let's unpack this right and yeah. so it didn't help I mean I'm glad I had that as a space but it I didn't feel like I was the abused woman I felt like I got in, in caught in somebody's mental health crisis mm. who like I'm not denying that he was an abusive male but I was trying to, I was already leaving the relationship I'd already left the relationship right. I didn't think I needed an exit plan I didn't think he'd go south you know right like, right like it was it's so it was like a different type of crisis um and so in it was, I forget where I was going with that. With the, oh, and then the other piece was I reached out to a mental health hotline, a distress hotline, and they were doing an intake and they said, oh, well, we'll have CMHA contact you to do an assessment on your level of- CMHA, sorry. Being CMHA, yes. Canadian, Canadian Mental Health Association. Yes. Um, so we'll do an assessment of, you know, how at risk are you, right? I was like, okay, I didn't hear from them at all until two years later. Ugh. And then when we did the intake, I said, well, now they're like, how often do you have suicidal feelings or you just want to die? And I was like, now it's about once a month that I feel like I want to die. But at the time it was like two years ago, it was yeah, every like, half almost, hour. like it was every day, every half hour. And they're like, oh, oh, okay. Well, we failed you. <laughs> like they admitted it. We failed you. Yeah. Our system failed you. Um, you know, glad you're getting help and you're feeling better. Um, you don't need to come in. Like even with how they dealt with me saying I was feeling suicidal once a month, wasn't even, like, it's like they didn't even red flag that. So yeah, that's still, I would say in the danger zone. Right. Or at least say, okay, can you please contact this organization or yeah. can you like, Steer we can't you bring you somewhere else, you know, if it's not dire or acute enough for them, where can you go? You know, like, luckily, I'm resourceful. Luckily, I Google things. Luckily, I will find free counseling if I can. Like, I will do those things. But I was like, wow, their negligence on 
was for something that you would expect yeah. would have more um, training on this. Mm-hmm. So it, it confirmed that at the time, like I was in this crisis that felt out of control and I was reaching out for help. And when help isn't given, it's almost, that's almost worse. It's almost. Well, yeah. And, and it just sort of feeds into that hopelessness because you're like, well, I guess there's, there's no hope for me. There's no help out there for me. I'm on my own. I'm on my own. Yeah. And I, I've found this with a lot of, and I don't want to blame therapists or counselors or, or mental health model. I would just say that if anyone is in that field, the hard part is that I'm very articulate. I'm (laughs) well-read. So I come across like I'm not in crisis. Like I can explain what's going on in me Mm -hmm. and I'm not going, like I'm not freaking out physically. Right. And so there are a lot of people who they're like, this person's in crisis, but they won't see. I'm like the duck where my crisis is happening under the surface. And I will say to you, I am in crisis. Can you please believe me? And they're like, no, you don't look like you're in crisis. You have a shower. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm like, I am feeling like I want to die. I don't even know if this is whatever the term is, suicide ideation. I don't like, I had to figure all those terms out for them to hear me. And <laughs> then. And I'm like, do you have to have a university degree in mental health to get help? (laughs) Because it felt like there was a terminology that I couldn't convey to them that I'm in crisis. Like, what is, I don't know what is, I don't know why I'm in crisis. I'm just, I'm not feeling happy to wake up in the morning. (laughs) And I don't, I don't know how to explain these thoughts, you know, and, um, so not having like a, just a basic checklist or let's go through this. If you're saying in your crisis, I'm going to believe it. Right. Instead of mm. just them assessing like, well, she can put sentences together. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm like, uh, so I, I have a prop, like a lot of therapists can't take me into the emotion or I'm like, can you please guide me? I'm just telling you what's going on. Please help me. <laughs> so yeah, uh, the, the curse of being a coach doing work, Personal growth work is that you know the terminology or you know how to explain things in a calm way, but you need the person to facilitate the emotions. Yes. Yeah. So, so what, what changed then? So over the course of two years, you went from, you know, (laughs) thinking, thinking about wanting to die every half hour to improving Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to once Mm -hmm. a month. Yes. Um, So honestly, COVID was the best thing for me. Oh, because I got, I didn't have to deal with the triggers of the outside world. Like I, I'm in my hometown or if I would bump into people, I would be these, these reminders, right. I'd bump okay. into people who knew him or saw him or da, 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 hear stories about him or blah, blah, blah. So COVID You're lockdown always talking was, about him. Right. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not saying like, I, I would say it's not like everywhere. I mean, he's, he's just a dude, but it was enough in my small town that, or small city, um, going downtown and bumping into people and, you know, music community and all this stuff. So I was like, I, I'd get triggered every time I would just, if I went downtown and bumped into somebody and somebody was, and it just was a, um, I didn't feel safe in my city or community. So it was actually COVID was the best thing for me because mm-hmm. nobody, I, I had permission to stay at home. <laughs> I had permission to not have to go out and engage so I could actually heal my nervous system. Amazing. So it was the best gift. I could go for nature walks. I didn't have to talk like, you know, definitely there was other dramas going on in the world and all this stuff, but I was like, I can 
I don't need to. So, and then on top of it, whatever was going on with him, I didn't hear about it. You know, it's like, it just kept it. Yeah. He somehow went off the radar for a period. And also that helps that he's, he toned it down. Like every time I would keep saying, you know, like blocking him or whatever, he, you know, he wasn't as active, but I would get every time it would, I would get something like he would, um, you know, he, he, he was trying to sue my psychotherapist oh my God. or, um, so again, another safe space, but it was a week before my wedding. So he, it felt like you knew my wedding date somehow and you planned this. So now a week before my wedding, I have to deal with anxiety. Right. Right. Now a week before my wedding, but it was this notion of like, you know, he tried to convince you to leave me, it, you know, and it's like, like his last effort to get me to love him. I was like, but it threw everything upside. Like I was like, so I wasn't immune to the triggers. Right. It's just that the triggers went away. My wedding happened. And then luckily COVID happened. <laughs> but it's like things as he wasn't my threat, right? Wasn't right. as often. It helped me to sort of calm down and get on with things. And then, but it's like the threat didn't go away. COVID helped it go away a lot more. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and and then, then you were stuck at home with your new husband, which I'm sure didn't hurt either. No, it worked. It worked. <laughs> we got to enjoy. It. We're like, this could make us or break us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank goodness it made us. And um, yeah, so things could finally calm down, but it still was sitting there. Um, the anxiety was still sitting there and it would just come in, um, you know, randomly. Like I'd just get overwhelmed randomly. Or if there was any kind of trigger going on in the news. And I'd be like, I'm like, I can't live like this. So I'd reached out to my doctor and I said, look, I think I need medication to get out of the cycle of chronic depression and anxiety. I said, I don't know what's an option. So she's awesome. She's always been great. I've known her for decades, thankfully. And uh, she did an intake and I got the perfect, I couldn't have asked for the perfect medication right away. Like I, I almost like immediately from taking it, the relief was there. Amazing. Um, so I know that isn't the case for some people when they're trying out medications. Um, but I couldn't have, I was like, oh my God, like, it's like, it took the edge off so I could just keep going. Right. Yeah. So, so that was a huge, I would say that was the, that was sort of like the, um, the it was sort of like a, <laughs> a circuit breaker. And, and then my brain isn't as inundated with, I could just focus because I couldn't mm -hmm. focus. Right. And, yeah. um, so now I would say like, I'm taking my med, I'm weaning off. I'm not at a high dose, but I still, you know, I still have issues with family dynamics. I still have, so I have to like monitor my triggers, um, and doing things like exercise meditation didn't help. It made it worse sometimes. Um, partly because he was a meditation teacher and we did a lot of meditation mm. together. So it took away my joy. Yes. Um, yes. And I would say, so moving the body and work, working out the PTSD and working out the nervous system and trying to get good sleep, um, without the flashbacks and so forth, that was, you know, trying to find that body mm -hmm. rhythm, um, and getting body work done. Yeah. What type of body work did you do? And, and do you, do you like, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously it's different for everybody, what they enjoy the most and what works for them, but. 
Yeah. Well, I would say because of everything that happened, it also created chronic back pain for me. Mm. So I had to go to see a chiropractor and a massage therapist. Um, And then I would say going to the gym that I went to had a steam room and a sauna. So doing heat therapy Mm -hmm. um, helps with relaxing the muscles, uh, feeling nurtured. Yeah. And, and same with massage, feeling nurtured. And, uh, and then the, the chiropractic helped with like everything was almost like how I was holding my body and twisting my body and sleeping at night. It was all uh, knotted. Um, so that really like, she was like, oh my gosh, you're just like a big pretzel. And I'm like, yeah, I just can't like everything about me was contracting and was almost like trying to, to like, I can almost describe it as trying to like hide and, right. and trying to die essentially. Cause it was, um, wasn't safe. Like I couldn't yeah. be open. So you're next. trying to curl up into a fetal position to protect yourself. Yeah. And, and your your body wants to be in that position. So exactly. It's, it's literally doing that. Exactly. And yeah. going into its pretzel, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I would say, and finding the, the holistic practitioners that I felt uh, comfortable with, because definitely through COVID times, you got weird, you got people in the drama and the politics. So I had to like cut off some of the people where I'm like, I just don't feel safe with you. <laughs> so yeah. I need to find my safe people and I need to find my safe therapies and my safe places. So I had to find new places to walk in my journey and, you know, that didn't have any memories with my ex um, <clears throat> and find my own um, outlets. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. We talk a lot, you know, people who everybody, I'm not going to say does the same thing, but we, we obviously, we work on our, our mental health and, and seek medication mm-hmm. or therapy or all of those things, meditation. Um, but we don't often talk about how our mental struggles can mm-hmm manifest in our bodies. And so I love that, that you're like, yeah, like Mm -hmm. I also did body work to help release all of that tension, anxiety, even the the hopelessness and the depression, like everything we store in our bodies and and feeling it. So yeah, also sort of, and, and it's the same thing, you know, body, mind, spirit, it's all intertwined. so So connected. You can't just work on one and not the other. No, no. And, and especially yeah. with PTSD, like especially because I would say suicide and suicidal ideation is an extreme. You're at such an extreme form of PTSD. You're feeling like deep depression. Uh, you're feeling threatened. Like it's life or death, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're at that point. So if you've gone through that, the need to look at and even if it's not identified or diagnosed that way to really take a look at what are the treatments to recover from PTSD. And usually it's body-based, like it's a lot of um, like arm, like opposite arm, opposite leg movement. So the elliptical, um, walking, uh, running, um, swimming is also a really good one. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're trying to reprogram your brain and you're trying to get your, like I found when I was going through this crisis, I was all like, I was clumsy. Like I dropped things all the time. I could lose my keys. Like my brain was not even functioning, right? Like body coordination was gone. I'm like, I can't even, every time I'd be like, and then everything would fall and I would slip and I would get, you know, um, I would tumble on things. Like I couldn't do that. So it's very much a brain body uh, illness because you're, 
literally your spirit's leaving your body, your body's going, I just want to die. And your brain's going, yep, let's shut down. So you have to re-nurture your, your, your brain body connection. Yeah. 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 And deep breathe, like the deep breathing of just slow, deep breathing can do wonders for helping your body and your, and yourself feel safe. Right. Yes. Like shallow breathing is when you're like, you think of an animal and they're just like, <laughs> like that's panic. Right. Yeah. Versus when it's deep, it's like, everything is settled. Everything is calm. Even if it's not, you're tricking yourself. Right. Right. Yeah. By doing those yeah. slow, deep breaths, we trick our brain into being like, oh, we're relaxed now. Yeah. There's no threat. There's no threat. There's no threat. Even, you know, totally, totally. It is, it is the, um, I think you have to do that with your body when you're going through that or recovering from it. Yeah. And the massage with like, and again, um, like I had it where I was having panic attacks and mm -hmm. I had to get like an EKG because my doctor wanted to make sure it wasn't a heart issue. And even when he put the, he puts like a device here over the heart, I was having a panic attack from that. He's like, are you okay? And I'm like, it was the feeling of, a, of, and because it was male, it felt I was triggered by a male. Like I, and I'm like, I'm not this person. I'm like, I can usually discern between like who's safe and who isn't. But right. my body was like male coming close to my chest area. And I hadn't even been physically harmed by my ex, but emotionally right. harmed, you know, like everything had been feeling like a sexual violation because it was an intimate partner violence right right and so and i and i would speak on like i think i would say intimate partner violence is probably the there's so many forms of betrayal and so many forms of violence that are terrible but i would say it's right up there with like the one of the worst types of violence because you shared your intimate vulnerable self with somebody who completely like you know destabilized you it's the worst um, like you trusted this person with the core of your being. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And so it makes like, it's the trust issues of going out and then going, well, if I trusted this person and they did this to me, why can't, and it's very subconscious. Why I can't trust somebody else, right? I can't trust another male. I can't trust, how do I know this person's telling me who they say they are? You know, like it makes you not suspicious, but very, very mistrustful. Very, very like from a, body nervous system perspective right right yeah like you're it doesn't make sense but your brain is like threat 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 <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. yes yeah yeah I was gonna say something and I was like oh, I'm not gonna obviously not gonna interrupt her and now I can't remember what I was gonna say <laughs> oh well too much. I guess it wasn't that important but panic attacks, um, body wellness. Yep. Threat. Yeah. It was some, some, something to do with all of those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I really, I feel for anybody who's struggling, uh, I get it. I really get how, how I'd say the things that kept me going were very, um, my husband, you know, who's my husband now, but my partner at the time is very compassionate, very validating. Like he could see it clearly. He's like, you just tell me what you need. Like he didn't abandon me. He didn't say I was nuts. He didn't go, oh my God, I'm dating a crazy lady with an ex. Like he didn't do any of that. It was, he's like, no, I trust you. I believe you. I see you. I see what's good about you. I like, and it's not that, you know, of course you have to find that within yourself, but if you, if you feel like you don't have a lot of people in your corner, that was huge 
Absolutely. And it wasn't out of rescuing and it wasn't out of he needed to be the hero and all this stuff. He just was like, nope, you're he understood that journey of suicide from a family member for him. And so his compassion and his empathy is what kept me grounded. Beautiful. And, um, and I knew like, if he sees this in me and he wants this really, I'm like, this is my chance of having a loving relationship. Like, this is what I was looking for. I don't want to throw this away. And I also knew that he had suicide trauma in his family. I'm like, I wouldn't want to do that to him. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like the thought of like, oh my God, like that would, that would be the worst thing to do to this man. And I absolutely, like, I really, you know, I, I fell in love with him. So I was like, this would, that would be the thing that um, stopped me. Like if I was all on my own and to my own resources, I don't know what would have happened. It would have been, <clears throat> it would have been a car accident. It would have been um, harming myself from falling down the stairs. It would have been something, something um, out of control. Mm-hmm. I also drank too much, you know, the, uh, I was uh, self-medicating through alcohol and um, uh, because the anxiety was just like, mm-hmm. so I totally get how people turn to addiction and turn to right um, self-harming tendencies, even if they don't want to. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, you just don't feel, you feel like something else is in control. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just trying all the things to see what helps. And yeah, especially when it seems like nothing helps, right? Yes. You're like, yes. oh, well, maybe more of some of these things will help. And of course they don't. Yeah. And alcohol being a depressant really does not help us come out of the depression. <laughs> It'll make it worse. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, sometimes at the time, it's just the escape that. Yeah. 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 That it's what you needed what what you need um totally, totally. or what, what you want not what you need yes exactly <laughs> yeah or it's just your body's crate like it's like a impulse right yeah. like you can't even um <clears throat> it seems like it's the answer it's the escape it's the answer it feels like it's you know like it shuts down the like for me it was like it also shut down the memories that kept coming in mm. like the PTSD memories and the intrusive memories and right. the intrusive thoughts. So it quieted that because okay. I couldn't med- meditation made it worse. Um, and so I would say if anybody's going like, why can't I meditate? And everyone can meditate. And it's, it makes me more anxious. And I'm like, it's, it's it does perhaps- happen sometimes. It's, it's not a cure all be all end all for everybody. And I had it with, it was so associated with my ex, it made it yeah. worse. Like, it was like, it just, so, you know, it's like, try to find the healthy outlets for turning your mind off. Like if it is music, if it is dancing, if it is, yeah. you know, if um, going away on a vacation, like if you, if that's going to help, like to, to separate from the triggers, right, is the important piece. Yeah. I like walking meditation. So, I mean, because that way you're also moving your body like mm-hmm. you said, in that sort of opposites mm-hmm. fashion. But when you're walking, you're just noticing things consciously like, oh, look, there's a red yeah. bird. And oh, you right. know, look at the, I don't know, the doorknob on that house or right. Right. the leaves on the trees as you go by. But you're just noticing things as you pass them. And that way you're not thinking, you're not lost in your thoughts. Yes. You're looking at the things and you don't have to talk to yourself out loud, although sometimes that works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, just, <laughs> just noticing the things as you're passing them and that keeps you really present mm-hmm. and out of the 
the know, brain. Yeah. The, the brain stuff that you don't yeah. want to about. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see that there's a whole world around you. You can, the senses are being stimulated. The... And if you do the same route, then you start, like I used to do the same route around oh. my neighborhood. And oh, then you're cool. like, oh, you know, different times of the year, you know, the gardens yep. would change, things would happen or somebody would get a new front door or they'd paint the trim or get new sets yes. or, you know, like totally stupid mundane things, but you notice them. And then, you know, yeah. it's, it's, something is always changing, even if you're doing the same route all the time when you're noticing mm-hmm. all those little things mm-hmm. um, and then you have familiarity like your your body's feeling yeah. the familiarity yet at yeah. the same time you're getting yeah. stimulated yeah it's yeah. a great I think the familiarity piece it's when everything is turning upside down are you feeling disoriented which mm-hmm. again everybody's different reasons for feeling suicidal come in differently like you can feel trapped but then you can also some I'm sure some feel like their world they don't recognize it anymore everything feels dissociated and um so, you know, being able to um, find a space of grounding and familiarity and safety through just simple, like I found myself going back to my old teenage neighborhood. Like I live in the same city as when I, where I grew up, I moved places, but I kept coming back. But I found myself being drawn to, I'm going to go to Value Village and I'm just going to go and shop. Because this, I remember from my teenagehood, or well, I say my twenties, but I remember this. This is my neighborhood I grew up in. This is my familiar zone. This is my uh, home space. He's not infiltrating the space. You know, I won't bump into him. You know, so yeah. not out of fear of him, but just out of finding that those places that feel Comfort. like heart, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. It's um, you know, it definitely. And so when you're you're speaking of that in your own neighborhood and and getting that same route and you know, I think subconsciously it creates a feeling of like I have home. I have normal, I have safety, I have things are familiar. You start probably seeing similar neighbors. Yep. Yeah. You know, like friendly people. You know, it's like you're you're wanting to see people who see the best in you and you want to see people who don't know you based on the crisis. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's important. It's important. <laughs> like you have to find cuz I think it's a really dark place. Like you're in such a dark place of you can't see your goodness and you can't see your, you can't see hope that you need normal. Like you need normalcy. You need people who go, Hey, everything's going to be okay. And, or life, there's more to life than this. You know, like you need to have those smiles, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The village. <laughs> the village. Yes. Well, thank you for being part of our Phoenix wisdom village. Yes. Thank and you for listening here today and, and sharing your yeah. story. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm so glad that neither one of us ended it Me or too. anybody who's listening has ended it. So there is, um, I'm going to say beyond there's hope. There is, there's always another corner. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. there is. Mm-hmm. Thank you for doing this. <laughs> Thanks. For, thank you for doing this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Um, Gosh, today my brain is just not, the the thoughts are flying through really quickly. Um, so we'll just, we'll just say thank you once again and, um, and end this. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you, Janet. <laughs> thank you for listening. 
Remember that you are loved, you are worthy, you are valuable, you are meant for more, and that it really does get better. If you are in crisis, there are numbers that you can call or text to get the help that you need. That information for Canada and the U.S. is in the description below each episode. If you are in immediate crisis, please call 911. We love you, and I hope you'll listen again.